welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. You're listening to Season 2. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. Today, I'm talking with Ben Lafer. Ben is the founder at Ripe Capital, a corporation that he started in 2020 to acquire and operate niche SaaS businesses. His first acquisition was Velocity, which is an analytics tool for project management, starting with the popular tool Asana. He was previously the Director of Strategy and Business Development at Content Square, a marketing analytics company serving Fortune 500 customers. Welcome to the show, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time out to uh, to jump on the show and chat. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Um, so I'd love to start off with, you know, your background. You have a vast background in, you know, management consulting. I'd love to know more about how you got your start, how you got into this world. Can you just shed a bit more light on that for us? Yeah. So I think like many people, my career has just been like a series of pivots. So after college, I started in a traditional generalist management consulting role, uh, going to a company Monday through Thursday, um, working on a project for three to six months, and then moving on to the next to the next project. Um, so it was a really good baseline for like how to work in corporate America, how to make presentations, how to do analytics. Um, and after a couple of years, I kind of just got burned out by it. And I'd always been interested in Israeli technology. So long story short, I ended up moving to Israel and working at a company uh, that did marketing analytics um, and getting really deep in the Israeli startup ecosystem uh, in the analytics ecosystem. Um, so I worked there for a while and then pivoted um, over to or pivoted back over to the U.S. where I, I continued working for them. Um, and we grew to a company, we, we merged with the, with, with a competitor and we grew to a company of 750 people. And ultimately I really enjoyed the, the analytics side and working with customers, but I didn't enjoy working at a 750 person company. So I, I took some of the knowledge I had from analytics and, and, you know, working at a software company and I started Ripe Capital, um, the mid to late 2020. Uh, and as you said, I made the first acquisition, uh, last November. Okay. Congratulations. I mean, you have quite, like I said, the the background. I'm curious to know what wasn't working for you. You know, what was it that was drawing you away from that world? You were doing well, you were doing what you loved, but you know, what was that pivotal moment where you decided to make a change? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't easy um, to, to make that decision. I thought about it for, for a long time, but I think ultimately what it came down to is organizations that big and moving really quickly um, and growing really fast and a lot of new people. And it was, I spent most of my time just proving to other people within the organization, like the value of what we were doing instead of actually going out and, you know, making acquisitions and building partnerships and the stuff that I, I wanted to do. Um, and then ultimately it was, I, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to, um, you know, be able to kind of chart my own path and, um, that's kind of how I, I started researching what are some other ways where we could 
take some of the software and SaaS philosophies and um, in this like micro private equity setting and kind of combine them all and, and ended up with Ripe Capital. Okay. Uh, you, you said it, it was no easy decision to step out, obviously. Uh, did you already have this entrepreneurial spirit in you? Were there other instances in your past that led to this? Were there influences on your life that helped you to like take that bold step into entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's a good question. I kind of always had in the back of my mind that I was going to start a company, even going into college or uh, working in corporate America. Um, it's, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandparents were mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Uh, my uncles are all do, have their own companies uh, in you know a lot of different areas. So it, it was kind of I, I kind of knew I was going to do something entrepreneurial at some point, but I never knew when or how or what the industry was. Um, and then when when COVID hit, I think a lot of people kind of rethought everything. Mm. Um, and it, it I I was in New York. I moved out of New York, and I thought like, what do I really want to be doing uh, for the next you know when the pandemic's over and in the next 10 years or 20 years. So, um, that's, that was kind of the, like the jump start for me to actually start figuring out like, how, like what, what should I do or how could I start something or what should I start? Um, and then, yeah, it was, um, it kind of made it both harder and easier during COVID to start something. Um, because there was, you know, you could work harder and not miss out on anything, but also, um, in the SaaS world, companies were hiring. So I knew I always had, uh, I could always go get a job if I wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. so it, it was, I, I, to go back to your question, like I knew I wanted to do something, but I never really knew when or how or, or, or what. Okay. It's, uh, it's all starting to make a lot more sense now. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for connecting those dots. I'd love to dive into, to ripe capital. I mean, if you go to your website, you read the, the incredible story of, you know, what inspired the name and where that came from. You talk about Samuel Zimmeray and, you know, his entrepreneurial spirit, you know, tell us more about how the company came to be and why you chose, you know, um, that direction. If you can just, you know, shed a little a bit of light for the listeners on the name, the backstory, all of it. Yeah. So the backstory kind of started, I was thinking about, um, how do you fund companies that want to build software companies and, or that want to build software products? Um, and th that might not be right for the traditional venture capital model. I think a lot of companies kind of go from one founding round to the other, but they don't think about the repercussions of that down the road. Every time you, you take on money, um, you know, that means you, you really need to have a significantly bigger exit on the back end of it. And it's a really good model for the Ubers and the, the Amazons and the ones that are, are really world-changing companies. But mm -hmm. for 99% of companies that even raise capital, I, I think those exits just aren't, aren't possible. So we kind of had an experience at, at the company I was working at in Israel where there was just a fundamental misalignment between our, our um, investors and the company. And it kind of got me thinking it kind of tainted my head of, of why do I, every, why does every company think it's like, let's raise the most money we can from the most like sexiest found or VC funds in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of companies, it's good, but I think that I, I, it started, you know, turning my gears of what are the other options? So I started learning a lot about boot, like the bootstrap software world, the micro private equity world. And my idea for starting Ripe Capital is to take some of these software companies that might not have been ripe for venture capital, but could still be, you know, successful companies for me, like a, 
either like Velocity, which is a relatively small company, but all the way up to, you know, a 10, 20, $50 million company that for a venture capitalist, that would be a failure. But for if the if like the incentives are aligned, I think that can be um, and should be a success if, if, if everything is set up and uh, the cap table is set up the right way and things like that. So that's kind of how I started thinking about it. And then I, around the time I read a book about, um, it's called The Fish That Ate the Whale, about this entrepreneur who came over from, I believe, Russia in the early 1900s with absolutely nothing. Um, and he didn't even, he, he didn't have enough money to eat. He didn't have enough money to start a business, but he uh, found what was called at the time Ripes is where Ripe Capital came from. And essentially he went down to the docks in New Orleans and he said, why are all those bananas sitting over there? And why is no one, you know, why are they not going on the train up to Chicago and New York? Uh, and no one wanted them because they wouldn't last. They were, they were too ripe and they wouldn't last if the train ride up to Chicago. So he said, okay, I'll take them. And he bought them for, for pennies on the dollar. And he built a network along the train route to sell the, the bananas uh, along the train route to the bigger cities. Um, so he really saw value where other people didn't. And he ended up uh, having an extremely successful career and kind of a crazy story, um, which I, I won't get all the way into, but it really just was like the right timing and the right kind of idea of how do we find value where, where other people don't. Um, and so that, that was kind of the inspiration for, for the name. I love it. It's such an interesting story. Yeah. Of resilience and someone who really truly understands and has that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, What's the name of the book again? The fish that ate the, the whale. The fish that ate the whale. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna add that to my to my list. Really interesting. Um, before we get into you know how your first acquisition came about, I'd love for you to just explain a little bit. You know what Velocity is. Um, obviously, it's a reporting and analytics tool. Is 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 just for Asana? How does it work? Would love just some insight into the tool a little bit before we dive into it. Yeah, so Velocity is a really simple and easy way to do reporting um, on, on Asana. And I, I think when the company was originally founded in, two, I think it was 2016, Asana really didn't have any tools for, for reporting. They've gotten a lot better at it. Uh, but really, it came, the developer was just a user of Asana, and he said, I want to see some charts and reports about what's going on. Uh, and he and he built it um, starting in 2016, and then he started bringing on some some customers um, some friends, some people that kind of in the Asana community, uh, and, and it kind of got built from there. And so the way I think about it, it's, it's either there's a platform within Velocity where, uh, you can actually go in and there's kind of pre-built charts and reports, um, that you can use, or there's a way for you to easily export data from Asana. And then a lot of the enterprise kind of in quotes, the, the bigger customers are essentially, just taking their data out of Asana and building their custom reports in um, in Google Sheets or Tableau or another BI tool. Okay, I'm definitely going to come back to that. Um, so, what was it about Velocity that you saw? I mean, the whole mission behind Ripe is to work with you know companies that others don't see value in. So, what what did you see in Velocity when you were thinking about acquiring it? You know, what exactly were others overlooking or not seeing the value in? Yeah. So when I started looking at the company, I, I, I had a few kind of areas I, I, I was interested in. And I think one of them kind of naturally was analytics and how do we give everyone the power of, of analytics to, to be able to understand their data, um, even if they're not a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of in the back of my head. And, and 
when I started looking for, for companies, my, my goal was to find companies with a strong technical founder who really didn't know or care about marketing and go to market. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what Velocity was. Uh, the founder focused only on product. Um, and he admittedly said, like, I don't really care about that. It's not interesting for me. I just like building things. So for me, that was a, like, a sign that this is exactly the type of company that I can bring my, um, you know, expertise and, and kind of go to market and looking at things like pricing and, and uh, design and things like that, that he didn't really look into. Um, and then when I started looking into Velocity a little bit more, um, I started learning about the project management world and it, mm. the timing is right. Like people were going to remote work more and organizations were trying to figure out how can we run our organization successfully while everyone's at home. And uh, so I think like that's a whole nother podcast you could do about why the project management space is exploding. Mm -hmm. uh, so the timing was really good there and um, it kind of fit my criteria of the size and the, essentially the, the technical, a technical product with that hasn't focused on marketing. Yeah, I, th I think you definitely found, you know, uh, a sweet spot in the market. And one thing you said there is really interesting is, you know, these companies that are, are displaced and remote for many of them the first time, right? When we were starting, um, like really starting to kick up Ditto, you know, there are companies that didn't know how to use simple tools like Slack or Zoom. Now you can't, you know, have a conversation with someone without Zoom coming up, right? And so um, there's definitely a need to be filled there. So when it comes to reporting and data, so let's talk about velocity specifically for a minute. Mm -hmm. What are people, what are you allowing people to see? So they connect to their Asana, right? Within the tool, obviously it's very limited, you know, in the reporting that it can, that it can provide. So what kind of insights would you say people are looking for? What are they finding? What connections are they making there? Yeah. So I think it, it I think a good thing about Asana, and, and I'm sure you've seen this is that there's a million different use cases and every company mm -hmm. kind of uses it differently. So I've put it into a few different buckets. So the way I, I kind of think about like how customers are using it or what they're doing is as small organizations, I'd say one to five people, they just want basic information about like how many tickets are open and which mm. projects are, um, you know, or, or which part in, in, of the kind of data flow are bottlenecking us or which, um, which one of our employees has too many tasks that are getting assigned to them. So it's really basic questions like that. And I think since even since I bought it, I think Asana internally has done a really good job of, um, kind of catching up on, on some of those simple reporting things with universal reporting and dashboards and things that they've released. So there's, there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, but I think that's kind of, when I think about it, it's like the small users that just want really basic data that they mm -hmm. couldn't easily get in Asana before. Um, and then from there, they can either, they can send it to their boss who's asking or an executive who's saying like, you know, how's the progress on X project or send it to their client if they're an agency so it's really just simple, um, like a magnifying glass to understand like, okay, what's, what's happening here and how do we simplify it? And then, um, so that's kind of the first bucket. And the second bucket I have is, or, or in, in my head is more of the, um, the mid market or in even enterprise customers that are doing more advanced things within their workflow with this data. And a lot of the times they're using, um, a data link, which is our product that essentially connects Google sheets to Asana. And once they, they have their data in there, 
They're doing a lot more sophisticated and unique things to them, you know, making pivot tables, bringing in yeah. data from their CRM or their, their finance books. Um, and either it's sort of the same sort of thing where they run more, it's just a little bit more custom and uh, complex. Um, and then they're using those to, you know, send to the CFO or send to their, to the client or um, attached to the invoice where a customer wants to say, okay, here's the invoice, but what, what have you actually done over the last two weeks? So right. uh, I kind of bucket the use cases into those two categories. Okay. And so are you allowing your customers to then export data from Asana to Google Sheets and then what recreate like burn down charts and velocity charts as well to provide insights into the projects? Yeah. So it, you mean specifically in, in Google Sheets? In, in Google Sheets. Yeah. Well, like when it comes to project management. Yeah. So once they're in Google Sheets, it really depends on, on the customer. I think a lot of them appreciate that, you know, Velocity or Asana now with universal reporting, you can do a lot more, but they already have their workflows and they already have the data that they, that they want. And sometimes those don't fit. Um, and so if they have the resources, they'll are exactly like you said, they're building their own burn down charts. They're, um, you know, building pivot tables and adding in other data sources. Um, they're, they're doing a lot. Honestly, a lot of the times I don't even know what they're doing because I don't have access to, to, to see it or get analytics on it. That's um, good to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but they just want, they just want more freedom and access to the data without having to download a CSV, you know, every mm -hmm. week. And it's always, it's always updated and it's always, um, like correct. So, yeah. um, a lot of the times before they'll say, oh, we were downloading like CSV files every Friday, but then by Monday morning or by Tuesday, it was outdated. So changed. yeah, so they'll, they're building these, um, kind of dashboards that are able to automatically update with, um, with these feeds from, from Asana. Okay. So many questions are coming up. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk data for a second before we get into the, the questions that are burning, um, on my mind, I just want to know, like with so much data available at our fingertips, you know, what do you think leaders should be, be looking for as it relates to improving their systems, improving their processes? What, what kind of things are you providing that they can extract? You can put into a dashboard that they should be viewing. Like a specific specific types of data. Exactly. Yeah. Just give us something high level. Yeah. So I think what, what I've seen the most success in is, is kind of companies that come and kind of do one thing at a time and then move on to the next, because when you start getting thousands of rows of data from Asana for the first time, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So the ones that I've seen have success are the ones that say, okay, let's first look at, um, you know, projects that are missing deadlines. Let's, let's find that issue. Let's find the projects that are, that that's happening in um, the assignees or the, the people that it's happening most common with. And like, let's attack that first. Um, and then, so like build all the analytics, build a dashboard specifically around that issue, and then, you know, make a plan for it and move on and then move on to the next one. I think that's the, that's the sort of thing where I've seen uh, leaders or even like project management, um, like professionals that are, that are leading project management across a large organization. I think those are the ones that are having the most success by actually having access to this data in Asana. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's um, kind of my, what, what, what I've seen the most success with. 
Okay. So yeah, um, I want to dig a bit more into that. So we have project managers, we have the leaders of companies. Can you bucket some of those people then? So who are we selling to? Who who is the customer here? Is it made for project managers? Are you giving these tools and resources to operations managers, to, um, you know, CFOs and, you know, um, people in the, in the C-suite to make better business decisions? How, how would you categorize some of your customers? Yeah, I think it depends. How they use the tool. Yeah, I think it depends on the type of, of, of company. So there are some really small companies where it's the CEO that's using it because they're the ones that are managing Asana mm-hmm. in their company. Um, and those are the, you know, the pretty small accounts. There are, um, and then that kind of goes all the way down to the bigger accounts. So it could be the COO and a little bit of a bigger company where the CEO is doing more high-level things. Um, but where I think we've seen the most traction is uh, with project management leaders, the ones that are really hands-on and, probably the ones that are also buying Asana. Um, and so those are the ones where it's like project management, operations manager. Uh, those are the ones that are using the product most often. Um, and then one thing I'll add there a little bit off topic, but what's interesting is that we're, I, I, like we're, we're able to buy it through, like it's a relatively cheap product. So these project manager at, at a big company can just use their credit card and buy it and probably expense it back. Um, and so I think what's interesting is that these large organizations are starting to understand, like, we really need to invest in, um, you know, our project management tool, whether it's Asana or something else. And they're, it's kind of bubbling up where it's becoming a bigger, like, line item for them. So it's not, it, it's easy for them to just say, great, we want velocity. But I think because they're investing, you know, more in Asana, tens of thousands or, or more in Asana, I think. They're starting to get more attention um, in a good way from the rest of the organization that says, like, oh, we want to use that. Or um, it's kind of becoming more, I don't know the right term, but more of an official product rather than just one rogue employee that says this tool looks interesting. So I think that's um, at the bigger companies what I'm seeing with those project managers or operations managers. Okay. I'm going to take a quick detour for a second. Sure. Uh, I'd love to hear how how Velocity or how, you know, Ripe is using the tool. Um, so we'd love to hear more about your your team, you know, how the product comes together. Obviously, you're constantly iterating and, you know, developing the product, you know. What, what kind of insights are, are you seeing um, when it comes to how people are using it and how are you using this data to grow and enhance uh, Velocity? Because I know, you know, kind of off, off the air, we are talking about the potential for growth in other platforms and looking outside of just Asana. So how are you using the data right now, you know, whether it's in Asana or other platforms to grow your own company? Yeah. So I think we have an interesting um, use case for it because I started using Asana just because I wanted to understand it better. Um, If I'm going to be selling a product Mm -hmm. to all Asana users, I might as well use it and start to understand it a little bit more. And then I started gradually using Asana more and more and it's, we have a small team, but we have a lot of contractors and um, part-time people that kind of plug in and, and support us. So mm-hmm. it, Asana in general has been really helpful for that um, and just being able to get everyone on a project or get the marketing team on a marketing project product or project or a board and get the development team and kind of so on from there. Um, so Asana has been helpful connecting all these different people uh, who might not all have like an email address for us to, you know, blast out emails to, or, uh, not all, not everyone's on Slack. So it, 
Um, just Asana in general has been helpful connecting all these different people that are working in, in different places and different time zones. Um, so for me, that's been helpful just to learn like how do companies use Asana and how, how can I successfully use Asana? Um, and for me, I think on that, on that standpoint, it's just people are around the world. Like our developers are, are in Ukraine, so I can open a task for them at night, my time, and they'll see it in the morning and like already have an update by the time I check my computer in the morning. So being able to work around the clock is for me, the, like the biggest value I see in Asana. Um, and then how do we, we use velocity? It's really, we're, we have a small team, so it's not as powerful as it would be for a team that has, you know, thousands of rows of, of Asana data, but I use it just as a way to just measure, um, like how long a task has been open before it's touched or are we moving things too quickly, um, you know, into the, from the, from, the we have the, the ice box to do pro, uh, working on kind of progress. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. So I'm moving it over from the ice box to the to-do category and it just sits there for a week. And so I think for me, I'm saying, okay, I'm giving, I'm kind of overwhelming uh, some of these developers by introducing all these projects that we're not really working on and kind of veering off their attention. So I, I'm using it to understand things like that, um, to see like where, like where it's really, like we're a small company, so I'm pretty involved in all of it. Sure. Um, but like, where am I, where am I causing people to be confused and where am I moving things too aggressively, things like that. So, um, that's kind of how I'm using Asana in, in velocity. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. And it made me think of, um, one thing that we talk about quite often is, you know, this work about work, right? All the in-between stuff, the roadblocks that we create for ourselves by not knowing where things go, not having a system um, in place to really manage the workload, to keep the team um, informed of what's going on at all times. And so, yeah, um, just, just to kind of spin off of that, something you said earlier around, you know, time information. So how long a task is sitting in a certain um, phase or a certain section does velocity and the data that you provide from Asana um, enable teams to now visualize and understand that? Because we we do get all of that information. If there is a task and it was you know created on what's today July fifteenth, um, you know, and it wasn't moved, there were no changes to the, to the description. It's now overdue, and it took someone you know seven extra days to get to it, and you know action that item. Are you providing that in between data as well to understand what's happening outside of files being uploaded or a description being changed or a field being, being updated? Are you able to see all that in between stuff as well and report on it to make better decisions? So I think yes and no. I think that there's some limitations that we have just in terms of what's available to us from the Asana APIs, which um, I think Maybe, maybe it was even coming from a conversation with your team where um, a customer wanted a little bit more details about the time, the time, uh, mm -hmm. like the, the time progression of, of, you know, not just created and closed, but kind of what's going on in between there. So I would say we would love to have more. And I think that's where kind of you, kind of the platform risk that we talk about, like we only can go as far as Asana lets us uh, yeah. in terms of the data. So I would say no in that sense, but yes, in the sense that we've created, and, and I think Asana has some of this now internally, a really easy way just to see, um, you know, let's look at the last two weeks, like what are the overdue tasks? 
Um, and then being able to understand like quickly, visually, okay, you know, this, this project is like significantly higher than everyone else in overdue tasks. Let's focus on that and figure out why that's happening. Is it actually backed up or did we just, um, you know, open up too many tasks that just wasn't realistic for the team to complete, or maybe someone was on vacation and it's really easy to figure out why tasks are overdue. So, um, I think we're frustrated a little bit and kind of, that's what you get when you build, uh, on top of another platform, um, where we'd love to have more, but I think what we try to do is just to, to kind of bubble up those insights as, as quickly and visually as possible. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. I'd love to know how you're analyzing this data or how often, I guess, you're analyzing this data with your team. Um, Are you working um, and using Scrum in your in your approach to development and improving the product how often are you looking at the the analytics and what does analyzing actually look like and then that's going to tie into my bigger question which is how do we take all this data and use it to improve our systems and and our processes within the business as well yeah i'm smiling because i wish we had a better system where um you know we we build out so we'll have a call with the i have a call with the development team every every week or every two weeks and i say here's what we are going to do for the next two weeks and then inevitably something comes up and everything gets thrown out the window and we end up doing that and i think that's just one of the risks or um benefits also to be flexible of having a very small lean team where we could quickly say okay like we can't work on fancy new products we need to make sure like the you know the core product itself is working so to me, that's kind of been frustrating. And one of my learnings of buying a company at this size and stage um, is that uh, the flexibility is nice, but also the, it's hard to plan uh, yeah. because you kind of have to drop everything and, and go fix a problem when it comes up. So in, in that sense, um, yeah, we, 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 we don't use the processes as much as we'd like, but I think we're doing very basic um, kind of like sprint planning. I would say where we yeah. say like, here's what we're going to do for two weeks. Uh, but it's really between me and a handful of other people. So it's, uh, it's, it, we, we don't do as well of a job as, as good of a job sticking to it as I would like, I would okay. say is the short, the short answer to that. <laughs> so uh, are you prioritizing or scoring any of these items? Like I understand that, you know, core product features, you know, come first, we got to make sure it's working, but how do you prioritize, um, any feature requests or any, you know, um, requests from users, you know, t- for, for further improvements and like, wh- wh- where do those stack in if growth is our, our, is our overall goal? Yeah. So one of the first things I did was actually talk to customers, which the previous, um, the founder had never really done. He was just building things and hoping that other customers like them. So. I, I put out a survey and I kind of send it out every three months or so to our customers and um, like prospects, people that have downloaded the the demo or, or the trial account and didn't didn't sign on. 
and pretty much ask them, are there any new features you would like to see? Where are their problems? And then I have a, actually within Asana, I have just this kind of a scorecard within that. Uh, here are all the feature requests that we've gotten and how often is it happening? So if it's coming from, and also um, how big is the customer? So if it's a really big customer asking for a small uh, fix, we'll, we'll kind of put it on the top of the line because that's an easy thing to keep a, a big customer happy. Um, if it's a small customer, kind of the opposite way, looking for something big and, and very different, uh, that probably would go to more of the, the bottom of the priority line. So I would say it's just starting with those customer conversations um, and then just cataloging what, what we find is, and, and doing those really simple scoring. Like how big is the customer? How easy is this to do? Um, and then also we, I, I'll ask our developers at some point, how long will, would you estimate this is going to take? very rough is it going to take a month or six months kind of thing um and then kind of when when we have a, a, in those kind of sprints that we build if we have a gap there then i'll i'll plug i'll plug one in um so it's mm. um i i don't i i it's kind of just like a system i made up for myself um okay. but it works for us i think because we're so small and lean um it's it's uh it's probably not scalable, but for at our size, I think it's it's fine. Okay, I've actually never thought about it that way. Like thinking about the specific customers versus a more general user, right? Submitting that feedback. Will you ask your customers for that feedback? Are you having one to ones with them to hear about their experiences and then catalog and prioritize their requests? Yeah. So um, again, like every three months or so, we'll do a survey, and at the end of the survey, I'll say, "Are you okay if?" We hop on the phone for 15 minutes, and if they say yes, I'll get on the phone as quickly as possible. I think, again, for a company that's $25 a month for, for one user, it's relatively cheap. Mm. So for, for a customer to spend 30 minutes on the phone, um, it's it's a lot to ask um, for, yeah. for a product that small. Even at a company where our contracts were a million dollars at some, some points, we still had you know problems getting the customers on the phone for um, feedback session. So anytime a customer is willing, I'll, I'll get on the phone and, and just see how they're using it. What do they want to see? And then again, when, when there's a, a customer request or, uh, even more importantly, like a bug or something that's frustrating them, we'll, we'll get it in the sauna kind of in the, in the icebox category and start moving them into the development flow. Interesting. Um, yeah, again, I've never thought about it from this side because I'm not on your side as a SaaS owner, but it's like you truly are working for your customers is what it sounds like. So uh, because we're talking largely about process improvement and that's what you know the show is about, uh, two things. I'd love to know since acquisition, since you bringing Velocity into the Ripe um, family, you know, what improvements or changes have you made in the company and with you having this very, you know, defined understanding and vision of where, you know, um, velocity is to go, how have your customers' um, requirements and requests changed that direction or changed what you thought was going to be your ideal state of where velocity was going to go? Yeah, it's a good question. So one, I, I thought we were going to move quicker, kind of uh, naive, naively thought that we could just build out a new integration within the first six months. And um, just, I don't, I'm realizing that wasn't really realistic. We had to kind of get the foundation of the Asana integration working uh, first. So really what the, 
the first six months were, or the first three months, I kind of, I didn't touch anything. I did kind of the customer survey, understood how customer, customers are using this product, kind of understood those two different categories of users and use cases. Um, and then I started, first thing was, was marketing. Um, you know, how do we, you know, build flows when a customer onboards to say, um, you know, here's the training materials, uh, your trial's about to expire, here's where you can find more information. Um, so building some of those automated flows, I think was, um, like very low hanging fruit for me, for me to do. Um, and then this, so, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was just getting more awareness. Um, how do we, you know, start working on the blog and building content, doing email marketing every couple of weeks, just to say, Hey, remember us, like, don't forget to log in or, uh, here's an interesting insight that we can offer. Um, so connecting with customers because before, yeah, a customer would find us great. They would log into the trial. Great. And then they would forget about it. And then they might still be interested and it might still be helpful to them, but they just didn't know about it and they, they weren't aware of it. Um, so really just keeping those, um, those touch points between customers and prospects, I think has been the biggest priority. Okay. Um, and, and then, yeah, how are you using, um, different tools, resources to, you know, better align your team. Like you're obviously all remote and with these changes and improvements, which are very interesting, by the way, um, how are you using, you know, that insight to keep your team aligned, to continue improving, you know, the company and ultimately what's next? Yeah. So you're saying like, which, what other software do we use? What what other software, what other systems have you created to keep your team aligned and and keep moving in the direction that you want to go? Yeah, so we're using uh, Slack and Sauna for pretty much everything. Um, and then I'll use, I've plugged in a few different like QuickBooks and things like that to do some of the backend financings. Um, but what's nice is that there's pretty much a software for everything now. So yes, it's, you know, at some point we're going to want someone to be full-time on finance and someone to be full-time on uh, legal and design and all those things. But what's nice is that there's a software for, for everything. And, uh, I've really been using Upwork a lot to get people to do small tasks that I have no, like a design task. Um, like I don't need a full-time design person, but like kind of the power of Upwork and those platforms just gives me the ability to, um, plug in and an expert or, someone that actually knows what they're doing and saves me a lot of time where I don't have to start like learning a new, new system or, um, can, you know, not think about something for a few weeks and knowing that someone there is, is an expert. So, um, yeah, so those are the main, the main things we use. I think Upwork is, is a very interesting tool for a company of my size. Um, and it can also be a dangerous tool, um, because, you know, there's some quality issues, but, um, up, using Upwork has been, has been really valuable for, for us in, in, in our growth. Okay. Um, yeah. And then what's next for velocity. I think, uh, my goal at the beginning was to, um, to take the, the integration and build it with other, uh, project management platforms, uh, looking at Trello and monday.com and things like that. And as I learned a little bit more, uh, and kind of dove into the company, I think what's more important is, uh, the data link side of things. So how do we get data out of these platforms into the, the tools that they already know, Google, uh, Google sheets and other business intelligence tools. So 
I've been thinking less so about like, how do we build in you know, reporting like application online that you log into and, you know, can build charts, but more so about how do we help customers get their data out and, you know, have the freedom to use whichever platform that, that they want. Um, and so I think that uh, it's some of it's there, like you can download CSVs, but, you know, how do we, you know, let a customer go into Trello and do the same thing with data links and have a CSV that automatically mm -hmm. updates. Um, so that's kind of, I, I, it's sort of the same idea, right? I want to plug into other platforms and take this learning, but um, focusing more so on getting data out um, in, into these other uh, analytics tools that co companies are already using. Okay. Because you're probably doing this research and you're looking, I mean, you mentioned Trello as one of them. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the other work management platforms like Trello, Teamwork, looking at Monday, who I, I don't think I, I've gone a day since, you know, 2018 without seeing an ad from Monday, right? Like they're all over the place. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on these platforms? You know, who is, you know, up and coming? Who do you think's got uh, a robust, you know, um, reporting platform? And what have you seen for, for improvements? How do you think Velocity can tie into those if you've thought that far? Yeah. Um, well, I think that especially Monday, the reporting is really, really good. Um, and that's why I started thinking, like, can we build a reporting system for something like Monday? And like what they have is already very impressive. And I realized, like, it's probably not mm -hmm. that much value I can add there. Um, what's going to be, I, I don't know all the, like, the kind of feature comparisons of all of these these companies. But I think what, what I've realized is that, like, kind of like how we opened up the conversation, I think co companies are starting to understand that they need to invest in these sorts of um in these sorts of internal systems um, to make their companies run more efficiently and, um, you know, reduce meetings and, um, you know, en enable truly remote teams to work across time zones and not, you know, be sitting at the computer waiting for someone to wake up uh, mm -hmm. to get their status report, things like that. So I think one, just seeing enterprise adoption is, is really interesting and um, whether or not employees want to use them is, is uh, going to be another challenge, but um being able to like show an enterprise that, yeah, there's value in investing, you know, $50,000 in Asana for this year, I think is, is, is interesting. And then all of them are kind of going about it a little bit differently. You know, monday.com has their, I think it's called work OS where they're yeah. kind of building a platform to enable other people to build on top of it. Um, and I think we'll, you know, there's a lot of no, no code and low code kind of uh, trends going on too. And I think, we'll start to see um, sort of like internal people that are just working on building these tools. Um, I don't know how long it'll take. It might not be for the next couple of years, but um, being able to, um, you know, build unique custom applications, sort of like what customers are doing with data links uh, in Velocity and have people that are really dedicated to it rather than just an operations person who it's, you know, one sliver of their job, but people who are, you know, a Monday.com or an Asana expert within an organization, and their only job is to, um, you know, build things on top of it uh, for different functions. So um, that's that's sort of the trends I'm seeing. Um, I, I again, I don't, I'm not an expert in, in each of these, but um, like, there's there's definitely it, it's definitely not going to stay static, and I don't know what it's going to look like in five years, but um, that companies are thinking about it. These companies are are doing really cool things. 
Um, and so I don't, I think, I don't know where it'll end up, but it, it'll be something different than what we're used to in terms of like how, how do big corporations work? I love it. Um, just as we're closing out here, I'd love to know, um, what's your advice or recommendations to leaders, owners of companies and, you know, departments when it comes to process improvement, reporting analytics, what are the things that they're, they're overlooking or not considering, you know, about all of these really important resources that are available at their fingertips? Yeah. So I think one thing I realized when I was working at a big company and we were selling to, you know, fortune 500 companies is that we would tell them these really good insights to the analytics team. And then they'd go over to the IT team, uh, to, to actually implement them. And the IT team would say, great, we're putting it on the roadmap and we'll consider it in six months. So, and then, and then just within these organizations, things just got stuck. So they, they really got strong insights from, from the data and the tools that they were investing in, but then they couldn't do anything about it. And we see this even now with velocity where, an operations team uh, uses velocity, gets an interesting insight, but then there's no one even on the team. There isn't an IT team or there's one IT person in the whole department. Um, so just kind of as there's more data and there's more tools, I think it's important to, to think critically about, all right, so we're going to invest in this tool. We're going to invest in Asana. We're going to invest in velocity. We're going to invest in um, whatever it is. Let's just let, let's think about like how that fits into our workflow today so we can get the most out of it. Because uh, none of these tools work in a silo and everything, you know, all these organizations are intertwined in different ways. So it's important to to understand, okay, we're going to invest in this product. Like, what are we going to do with it? And are the, is the other team uh, kind of working in parallel? Are they also on board? Do they also have the resources for us to, to, to do something with these insights that we're, that we're getting? Beautifully said. So Ben, thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people connect with you? I mean, get velocity, co is where you can go and try out the um, Velocity platform. But where can people connect with you if they do want to find out more? Where are you hanging out these days online? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ben Lafer. And um, you can email me at ben at ripecapital.co. Perfect. Again, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation. Looking forward to uh, catching up again in the future, see where things go for you. Thanks. This was, this was fun. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.